Tonight as we take our seats, take out your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 6 in the second half of our study entitled Lessons from the Lion's Den. Now I don't know how many lion's dens you've been flung into in your life. I've been tossed into a couple. Places where I thought, you know, this is it, this is the end, it's over. And you're tempted to think all kinds of things. And among those things is maybe God doesn't actually love me anymore. Uh, Maybe he's angry with me. He's perhaps trying to teach me some kind of lesson. Or maybe it stems from your own behavior and you're just thinking, you know, well, I deserve this. And all of those things, though, may have some relativity to the way you think about it or rationalize it. Sometimes lion's dens are nothing more than God's desire for our lives because he wants to use us in a very new and a very wonderful and in a way that we would probably not put ourselves into position to be used that way and that is certainly the case here in Daniel's life. Daniel's done nothing in that sense to warrant the treatment he's receiving. Uh, He's in this in an innocent way. He's simply just refused to cave to the world. He's done nothing inherently evil, um, but the world has come against him. And in light of that, one of the things that we see here right from the very beginning of our time tonight, and we'll pick up in verse 12 here in Daniel 6, is that the adversary is real. The enemy is real. Satan is real. There, there are demonic hosts of wickedness in high places, in heavenly places that are Uh, even now mapping out, planning, doing things that uh, ultimately may come into your life at some point in time. You you may go through a fiery furnace yourself. Lies are going to be told against you. Uh, People will do what they're going to do to try and preserve their own uh, place in this world at your expense. Uh, The battle plans are drafted in essence to take you out and to ruin your witness And really all that is left is for those plans of the enemy to touch your life at some point in time. That is his plan. It's his plan for all of us. He's trying to destroy us, discourage us, cause us to be dismayed and to walk away because he doesn't have to defeat us. All he has to do is get us to give up. And I think that is the place where most Christians experience um, probably the greatest defeats in their lives. It's not that they're actually defeated, it's they surrender. They actually give in to those plans that the enemy has waged and to those things that he wants to do against us. And so I pray tonight you'll be encouraged, strengthened, built up. You'll see once again another, another king that's going to turn to the Lord. And it should give you some solid confidence that, that Daniel's witness is being used of God. We've already seen Nebuchadnezzar turn. And tonight we're going to see Darius do the same thing. And so would you pray with me? We'll pick up in verse 12 here in Daniel 6. Father, we come. Lord, some of us are in the fiery furnace right now. Lord, the the furnace was stoked seven times hotter. Some of us are in the lion's den right now. The lion's den is open and the lions are in the bottom of the pit. And we feel like the next step is going to be into those lions. And so, Lord, these two examples we have in Daniel's life where it seemed hopeless, it seemed impossible. Uh, In each case, the secret ingredient is you, Jesus. Lord, you come into that situation, turn certain ruin into victory. You you change disaster into blessing. 
And so, Father, we give you this time tonight. Pray that you'd speak to us through the majesty of your word. Instruct us as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 12 here in Daniel 6. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And so here comes the the plot that was carefully crafted to, to put Daniel in harm's way. And the king answered and said, this thing is true. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter, he's simply saying, look, I've said it, that settles it. I myself cannot even overturn what I have decreed. If I've decreed, I would have to go against the laws of the land, and even I can't do that. And so the answered and said before the king, that Daniel, who is, and I, I love that name, it's very accurate rendering from the Aramaic of this passage, that Daniel. You know, it's almost like the snide remark, that rotten Daniel. This guy that's just been a thorn in our side now for decades. That Daniel, who was one of the captives from Judah, does not show any regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes petitions, his petition, three times a day. And so the first thing we see is this accusation. Uh, that that uh, is made against Daniel, and it, and it comes in line of this demonic decree that Darius has made. Now, Darius has been influenced by these counselors of his, these governors and satraps, and they've uh, come up with this plan. And to no one's surprise, the conspirators find Daniel praying. It's what we would expect, because that's what he's always done. As I said last time, when, when you are really walking with the Lord, um, you're going to be somewhat predictable in, in the things that you do. You're, you're going to be found in prayer. You're going to be found in the word. You're going to be found in fellowship. This is just what believers do. This is how we conduct ourselves. This is a way of life. You know, people often ask, you know, what's church all about? And they, and they really associate church with a place. It's like it's a place you go to. And I'll remind them, no, it's not a place you go to. It's a life you live. The life that I live, I now live in Christ. It happens to be expressed in a place as we gather together. But we're living the Christian life. Daniel was living a life that spoke of who God was. And so to ensure the king uh, that he he wouldn't renege on these things, the, the counselors ask him, you know, you made this decree, right? And the king at this point in time, I believe, is completely unaware that their whole desire is to get Daniel in trouble. And so I think Darius kind of just simply steps on his own tongue, if you will. And the trap is now set. It's going to be sprung. The accusation against Daniel is going to be made. Uh, And unquestionably, they caused Darius to act foolishly. uh, And a a very unwise thing comes out of his mouth, if you want to look at it that way. And he makes this decree. The second thing that we see as we pick up now in verse 14 is this anxiety of Darius. And this is a picture of how when God starts to work in someone's life, there are little tiny measuring points along the way where you can see, you can see God at work. And you can see that as we begin in verse 14. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. That's called conviction. 
It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that's working. When we recognize within ourselves that we've made a mistake and we become displeased with our attitude or maybe our action, some words that we've spoken, that, that's a sure sign that the Holy Spirit is actually working in us. When we're agreeing with God and disagreeing with our own selves, um, that's not because you're bipolar, that's because you're actually hearing from this Holy Spirit. Um, we actually have a war that's going on and there are times when we want to go one way but we go another way and we do the wrong thing but when you agree with God, that's a good thing. When you disagree with yourself, that is a good thing. And so yes, there's a little bit of a, a turning point that you can see here and he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. He immediately thinks of how he can make restitution in this situation. How he, can, how he can restore the situation which he himself has caused to, to be the way it is. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. And then these men approached the king and said to the king, now, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no degree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. It is interesting to me how the world will use all means necessary to try and destroy the work that God is trying to do. And in this case, it, it's not even against using its own laws for its devious purposes. And it's not against establishing things that these men themselves would want to have changed the other way. If they were in Daniel's place, they would certainly go, yeah, change the decree, it'll be fine. And you'll see that in our world today. It's interesting how people can uh, look at the law from one direction as long as it benefits them, and if it's a negative thing in their life, then they want it changed. And so the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. So you can see the change of heart. You can see the change of direction in his thinking. And then a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. And so they're, they're setting this, uh, as it were, in stone. Signet ring at that time, uh, likely, either a, more than likely, a clay uh, bulla or a wax bulla. It's just simply a ring that normally the, the ruler wore. A very familiar thing. You can see those all over the world in museums. But the signet ring would be pressed into it. And once that wax hardens or the clay hardens, it, it has to remain intact. And if it's cracked, if it's broken, that signet ring, uh, now the, the law that was behind the reason it was sealed has been broken. It was a way for them to make absolutely certain that Daniel stayed in there and was eaten can't be changed verse 18 and now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting no musician, musicians were brought before him and also his sleep went from him and the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions and then he came to the den and he cried out with a lamenting voice to daniel and the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually 
been able to deliver you from the lions? And so the conspirators had accused Daniel and his three friends of not bowing down in Nebuchadnezzar's image. And Nebuchadnezzar grew angry. Darius's actions are, are nearly the exact opposite. Nebuchadnezzar was furious. Daniel is remorseful uh, over his situation. And Darius is remorseful as well. It's like uh, this shouldn't even be happening. And so you can see the softening of Darius the king. And when the king hears these things, he, he becomes distressed. He knew he'd made an oath that ultimately was the wrong oath. And in fact, in Ecclesiastes 5, we're reminded to actually not make oaths because they put us into a difficult place. And it says there in verse 1 of Ecclesiastes 5, walk prudently when you go into the house of, of God and draw near to hear rather than give the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they do evil. You can almost see Darius reading this passage where it's available to him and going, yep, that's me. I should have listened to the Lord instead of making this rash decision. Don't be rash, it says there in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2, with your mouth nor let your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on the earth. Uh, if, if you ever want to remember something that's really important, Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2, for God is in heaven and you're on the earth. That is a truth. God is in heaven, and we see things from an earthly perspective, and then he follows it with the best marriage counseling advice that I can give anyone ever. Therefore, let your words be few. Therefore, let your words be few. Remember who God is, that he is in heaven, and you're on earth, and you probably don't have all the facts. You almost assuredly have some of the things that you're about to profess as truth wrong and in fact there, there's a very good chance that the more words you speak uh, the more trouble you're going to get into so let your words be few and remember that God is in heaven and you're on earth in verse 3 of Ecclesiastes 5 for a dream comes through much activity and a fool's voice is known by his many words ties in with verse 2 if you want to be wise close your mouth you know, you can't get in trouble for things you don't say. You can't be wrong if you haven't expressed something that's incorrect. These are very simple things, but they are so true. If you just stop long enough to listen to God instead of thinking you already know what it is that needs to be said and just hear the word of the Lord, and instead of speaking about it, listen to his voice and let him put words in your mouth, they are going to be few. You can stay out of a lot of trouble. I can think back on almost all the major things that have ever really gone haywire in my life, and I at some point in time made them at least a little bit worse by the things that I say, the things that I contributed to them. And so some wisdom here from Solomon as he writes Ecclesiastes, verse four, it says there in Ecclesiastes five, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vowed. If you can't pay the price, you probably shouldn't say it. 
If it's something that's out of your control, you, you might want to think about not making that vow before the Lord. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Any of you live long enough to have to take back some of the words you said? Spoken things that if you'd have waited just a little bit longer for a little more information to come in, that perhaps uh, you, you would have said them differently or not said them at all? Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? Basically, the, the principle is this. We almost always don't have a clear picture of anything. It's very rare that we have perfect understanding of anything. And so Darius was in that place. We, we get that way when we don't listen to God. When we allow our position in life or maybe our knowledge or maybe some skill, some talent, something that you do well to override our understanding that God is in heaven and we are on earth and we probably don't know everything. When we get to that place, we call that being prideful, sometimes even arrogant, right? We stand before the Lord. It's like, I got this. We almost always live long enough to regret the things that are said in those moments where we think too little of God and too much of ourselves. And that's what Darius did. He just didn't remember who's Dan who Daniel's God was. And so all of Darius's efforts had failed to change this outcome. He had wished that he could take these things back, but he couldn't take those words back. And so the king put forth that order. It would have to stand and in the Aramaic language of this passage, he's basically saying, look, I, I believe God's going to deliver you. He's going to deliver you. I know he's, he has to deliver you. There's kind of a little glimmer of faith in this passage. And it's a beautiful thing. It begins to shine a little bit brighter as we continue through the remainder of this chapter. But when you look at the faith of Darius, <clears throat> he's now bound by his own decree, the law of the Medes and the Persians. And there's, there's not a whole lot he can do about it. And even God himself it puts himself into those positions where he has said something, and once he said it, it is immutable. It can't be changed. A couple of passages come to mind. They're both in the Psalms, Psalm 22 and Psalm 16. So David's writing about a 1,000 years before Jesus sets foot on this earth, and he writes in the 22nd Psalm, uh, these incredible passages that we, we remember, that it is there that these words, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's at that point, because it speaks forward of the Messiah, God is bound, his son is going to suffer, he's gonna die on Calvary's cross, and in that sense, much like Darius is backed into a corner here, though God is not backed into a corner, God voluntarily went into the corner, he's not changing his mind. And so when we look at these things from a human perspective, God knew exactly what God was allowing. God allowed Darius to speak those words. And so God must have a plan because Daniel is righteous. And so God doesn't overrule things just simply because he can. And so we have to be careful about what we think God is going to do. If it requires God to change his opinion about something he has previously stated in one way, um, you can pretty much guarantee yourself that he's not going to change his opinion on that. 
There's all kinds of issues that we could bring up, the issues that uh, we would look at in our world as though they were some type of sin issue. Uh, And we've come to a conclusion in our day and time that God was wrong. Well, God wasn't wrong. And so Darius is finding out that God doesn't change his mind. And God's not going to force Darius uh, into a situation to change his mind. And so here in this particular part of the passage, you, you can almost see how his faith is starting to grow, but he's not quite sure what to do with it. It's like, he, it's like he wants to believe and he wants to trust and he's kind of acting on it. And this is the way believing faith often kind of gets a flicker of growth. And it takes a while for that believing faith to become repentant faith, to become active faith, to become the type of faith that you can actually turn to and say, I, I believe. And Darius is almost there. Uh, and you can kind of see how his attitude is changing. So what does he do? He goes and he, he, he spends a night not eating of the king's delicacies, no entertainment. He's fasting. And his faith is being fanned by God. It's like God's speaking to him all night long to where finally he acts on that faith. And he gets up in the morning and, and, and it was just enough. That God encourages him. He, he runs down to this place that now is looking like it's going to be the tomb of Daniel. And, and he gets there. And because I believe of the witness of Daniel, Darius, I think, is going there with some expectation that it's going to be okay. Now, I can't say that it's perfect faith. There was probably a little bit of unbelief mixed in there. But I think it was hopeful And so when you have people in your life that you've shared with them and there's a little bit of growth, be careful to nurture that faith. You know, you can can talk all day long about it not being perfect yet or maybe they haven't come to faith yet, but nurture what faith they have expressed. I had a situation a couple days ago and I was talking to a guy and, you know, it's very clear he does not know the Lord, at least from my perspective, I almost never will say that I know that I know that I know that someone else doesn't know the Lord unless they just proudly proclaim I don't want anything to do with Jesus then I'm going to say okay that's what you believe but this guy was talking about and he then he went off on this tangent on UFOs and aliens and I mean it was crazy it's like well I think Jesus was actually an Egyptian and you know he gave you this whole you know kind of well thought out theology of how Jesus was ET you know and, and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm, I, I'm trying to think how to respond. And the only thing the Lord told me is don't crush it. There's a little bit of faith there. He actually has some capacity to believe in something outside of himself. Look, you can shred him with the ET thing or you can encourage a little tiny bit of faith that's being expressed there. And so I started talking to him uh, and I said, why do you think God would put Jesus into an ET box when the only people that would have any understanding of who E.T. is or somebody like that would be people right now. Nobody for the last 2,000 years would have thought of Jesus being in a spacecraft and coming to this earth except for people right now. And he looked at me and he goes, wow, I never thought of that. So all of a sudden, Jesus became relative to him outside of his little tiny E.T. window nourish people's faith whatever little sliver there is try and figure out a way to help that little bit of faith grow 
Because you never know when you're going to have uh, a Darius moment in somebody else's life. Obviously, the, the light that Daniel had shed in Darius's heart and Nebuchadnezzar's heart before him uh, was still shining very brightly, even at an advanced age of 84 years old. And so let God's light shine through your life. It may seem like you're getting nowhere, and this is especially true, brothers and sisters, this is especially true with people who know you the best. Family. Uh, We're all about to get to this very unique American Thanksgiving holiday. We're the only country in the world that celebrates Thanksgiving as a national holiday. And we all gather together with our family. You're going to have people that are likely gathered around your table unless you happen to be one of those rare families where everybody in your entire family is saved. You're probably still, you probably still have a couple of people that are going to come and they think you are about as weird as people can get. Uh, and they're going to have all kinds of, you know, kind of snide remarks. If, if It's like things that happen at the Gill household. There'll be little digs and there'll be little things that are said uh, and stuff that kind of indicates that perhaps you need help putting on your shoes in the morning because your brain isn't functioning properly. Now, you can come back with some snarky retort. You can start quoting, you know, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And they'll just look at you like, see, I told you. Or you can figure out a way to nourish that little bit of faith. Find out what they do believe in. And then find out what you can do to talk about what they do believe in. That isn't necessarily provable by scientific fact, if you will. Help people's faith grow. The next thing we see is the the assurance. And then ultimately the avenging of Darius. Now Darius has made a mistake. But I love how God cleans up our messes. I love how he works even in heathen kings to to take care of their mistakes as well. Verse 21, and then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. I love this. Can you imagine? Here here comes Darius. He's running down there. He's got a little bit of faith. He's hoping that Daniel's still alive. And, And out of the lion's den, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. That that is an expression of faith in, in about as stellar a way as you can possibly state it. He says, look, God delivered me he did the impossible and here's why he did it because I was innocent before him and I didn't do anything against you either king that's a man that would be a woman that could be anyone who expresses that type of faith that person's going to be very useful to God because God gets the glory for this notice what Daniel didn't say well the lions weren't hungry I'm old and tough, and they couldn't get through my skin. Um, I don't taste good. I haven't bathed in a week. You know, Daniel doesn't, doesn't say anything that is, is the normal excuse as to why he's still alive. It isn't like, well, I fell down inside of this crack, and they couldn't get to me. These are all excuses that liberal theologians come up with for why Daniel's still alive. He's dumped into this den of hungry lions, and they can't just stop for a second and go, 
Look, the God that created heaven and earth from nothing is quite capable of preserving you when you're dropped into a lion's den with hungry lions. Or you could try and make up excuses like, you know, Daniel wasn't on the menu for the lions that night or something. No, God did this thing and Daniel immediately gives credit to God. He says, an angel visited me. Now I happen to believe that this angel is none other than Jesus. I believe this is a Christophany. Normally when you see the angel of the Lord or God's personal angel, my God has sent his angel. I think that most of the time that's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Jesus just shows up and starts talking to the lions that he created according to Colossians chapter one. Those are his lions. I don't know if Daniel and Jesus sat down and you know did the Aslan thing, I'm not sure. He's not a tame lion, you know. But all we know is Daniel's still there and the lions are still there. And we're gonna find out in a very extreme way that not only are the lions still there, the lions are actually quite hungry. And now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den and there was no injury whatever found on him. And here's why. Because he believed in his God. That is an expression of faith that is assurance. That's the same type of assurance that I have that I'm going to heaven. Some of my people ask me, well, how do you know? <clears throat> because God said so. And I believe him. I trust him. I've watched him work in this world. I've watched him change countless thousands of lives. I've seen people's lives completely made anew. I myself have been made a new creation in Christ. The old things are passing away. I am not anywhere close to what I used to be when I was a young man. Amen? I trust him. That's the type of assurance we have. And Daniel, in an Old Testament way, expresses that assurance. He says, look, I believe my God. God didn't bring me this far to feed me to a bunch of lions so you guys could gloat over me. And the reason I think this is important for us in, in, a, in a way of assurance is that God has plans for you that are good. They're not evil. They're a future. They're a hope. They're a Jeremiah 29, 11 thing that you can look back. God, God is not through with you until God is through with you. And so in that sense, and I'm not saying that you need to go step out onto Vermont and not look which way you're going to test and see if the Lord is good because you're going to get run over and flattened and killed just like everyone else. But I am saying if the Lord is for you, who can be against you? No weapon fashioned against you can prosper, says the Lord. And who you are in him far exceeds whatever the enemy can do to you. And so you are not leaving this earth until God says so. So whatever it is that's coming your way, God's in control of it. And even in the life of Job, which you look at Job's life and you're like, man, the dude just suffered for so long. But Satan didn't kill him. He wanted to take him. But God says, no, you're not going until I tell you you can have him. And I'm not telling you you can have him. 
Daniel understood that. He believed God. And it kind of makes us invincible in that sense. And again, please don't go out and, you know, tell everybody, I'm invincible, you know, and run around, you know, wave your arms and do dumb things. God doesn't always protect us from our stupidity. But if he, is, if he is set out to deliver you, you are going to be delivered, period. And the king gave command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions. I love this. So you can imagine the day before, they're like, yes, we finally got rid of Daniel, you know. As they're standing, they're lowering Daniel down into the den of lions. They're waiting to hear the crunching of bone and the ripping of flesh. I I wonder what happened when they didn't hear that. Because you know they were sitting up at the top of that hole going, I'm not hearing any eating. That's not sounding like people getting shredded down there to me. There's, There's no noise. And the trap that was prepared for Daniel is used for them. their children, their wives. The lions overpowered them, broke all of their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. They didn't even hit the ground. That's the difference between someone who's walking with the Lord and someone who's not walking with the Lord. That's someone who serves God, being protected by God, the God that we serve, and someone who doesn't trust him having the consequences that they've brought into their own life because their own actions, their own words. God is a defender of those who are his. Now in in divine providence, he does good things to even bad people. But you can see very clearly there is a difference when you serve God and when you don't serve God. And especially when people come against God's kids or God himself God is our defense. God is our fortress. God is our strength. He is our defender. That's why the scriptures remind us that vengeance is mine, say the Lord, I will repay. Give room for the enemy uh, to do his work and you're going to be in trouble, but give room for God to give vengeance and you will be vindicated. God is the vindicator of those who serve him. He's the one that makes things right. And I can't tell you that instantaneously every right thing will be done in your life, but I can tell you this, God has missed nothing. Whatever happened to you in your life, he has seen everything fully. And he is going to square those things away. Whether it's here on this earth or in heaven, you can rest assured that God will square these things away. In this case, it was instantaneous. And so Daniel answers, O king, live forever. My God has sent an angel. He shut the mouth of the lions. I can almost see Daniel sitting down there just, you know, having a conversation with Jesus. You, you wonder what they talked about. You wonder what the lions were doing. Can you imagine the look on the lion's face? It's like, we think we're supposed to eat you, but I'm not feeling hungry right now. I don't know what that is, but all of a sudden our appetite's gone. I, we don't know what happened. But we do know that Daniel was aware of the presence and the power of that angel. 
we do know that Daniel was fully delivered. And the second thing that we see here is, is Darius is actually himself avenged. He was fooled. He was tricked. And God, even in that little sliver of faith that's beginning to show itself, uh, begins now to, to bear out spiritual fruit in Darius's life. And he, again, is a picture of that principle that we just finished not long ago covering and we were in Galatians 6, there in verses 7 and 8. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. And if you reap to the, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap righteousness. And, and so these guys sowed to the flesh. Well, what goes around is going to come around to them. And they're going to experience exactly uh, what they had done. They're, they're going to really live out what Jesus said when he says, do not judge, for by the same measure which, with which you judge others, you yourself will be judged. And so he wasn't so much talking against judging. He said, you better be careful. Because if you mete out improper judgment, you can expect that improper judgment to come back your way. And in this case, you can, you can imagine what these guys are thinking as they're going into the lines and, well, this is unfair. I mean, we're, we're citizens of Persia. I mean, we're Medes as well. We're government officials. What are you doing throwing us in here? No, you are reaping what you have sown. This is, this is what you're gonna get. This is what you did. And so they don't even hit the ground as they go into the hole. The next thing that we see is the announcement that Darius is going to make, and then also this incredible achievement in, in Daniel's life, verse 25. And then Darius wrote, King Darius wrote, to all the peoples and nations and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. He says, Shalom Aleichem. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. That is, again, a profession of faith. He's saying there's no God but Daniel's God. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. That's what Daniel's faith has been used to rot in King Darius's life. So strong was Daniel's faith that here this king has his heart changed. He delivers, he rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. King Darius makes this pronouncement, and it's really sevenfold, and you can kind of see these things. Now, I can tell you that if you were listening to somebody and you were talking to them about Jesus and who he is, and they made these same professions of faith, I would instantaneously go, you got it. 
That's the type of faith that is necessary for us to believe. It's the gift that will be given. If you'll receive it and believe, then you'll be saved. Number one, all people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. You you can't be saved unless you actually fear and reverence God. It's not possible. Because if you don't understand who he is and what you've done, if there is no understanding of sin, then you are not necessarily even understanding you're a sinner and thereby need no savior. Darius understands that he needed to fear and reverence God. He's a living God. Jesus said, I am he who is alive and live forevermore. Amen? He's not a dead God. Our Savior sits right now before the throne of God, at the right hand of God, the Father making intercession for us. He is alive. He left this earth, not a dead man in a casket, but a risen king that's waiting to come back to receive his kingdom. He endures forever. Remember what Jesus said about himself at the end of the book of Revelation? I am the first and last. I am he who was and is and is to come. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I was there before it all started. I'm going to be there when it's all done. He endures forever. His kingdom is eternal. Uh, I don't know about you, but I plan on having eternal life. Not just really, 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 really long life, eternal life. Life that is without bounds and without ends. That's what Christ promised. He promised an eternal kingdom. That's the profession that's made by Darius here. He rescues and he saves. Plain statement from Darius. My rescuer is Jesus. My savior is Jesus. He's making a very straightforward, clear and concise profession of saving faith. I've been rescued. I was wrong. I messed up. And God fixed what I had messed up. He rescued. He saved. He performed signs and wonders. I look at the number of people that I know that were in some way, shape, or form heading the wrong way. They were involved in drugs or involved in alcohol or they were... You know, their life was messed up relationally or they, they had massive problems. They, they couldn't keep their hands off of other people's things. People who meet Jesus ultimately end up having signs and wonders performed in their life. There is a difference between the old me and the new me. Anybody that knows me and knew, knew what type of person I was when I was uh, in my 20s and early 30s, uh, before I turned my life completely over to the Lord and said yes to ministry and all those things. Someone that was just prior to that time ago, him? He's a pastor? Are you kidding me? That's a miracle. Yep, that's a miracle. That's what it is. It's a miracle. It's a sign. It's a wonder. We're walking miracles, signs, and wonders. That's what we are. And he's delivered Daniel from the lion. In that way, you can kind of look at this passage and you can kind of see how there's a typology that's going on here, a prophetic look, if you will, at Jesus who will come and what has happened in Daniel's life. And so there's some deep prophetic implication here. When you think of what the world can do and yet what God does to protect us from it, 
when you think of what the world has set out to do and, and what God doesn't allow it to do to us as his children. You know, I look at the world and, you know, if you have children right now, if you're a parent or maybe you're a grandparent, if you want to protect your children, then raise them in the training and the admonition of the Lord. It's the only protection from this world. It is there that we fight that fight. It's there that we have victory. It's there that we're overcomers. It's there that we have what is necessary to wage spiritual warfare. That's where that helmet of salvation comes from. That's where that breastplate of righteousness comes from. That's where that waist belt of truth and the sword, which is the sword of the spirit, and the shield of faith and the feet that are shod with the gospel, the preparation of peace that Paul talks about there in Ephesians 6. That's, that's what it is. That, that's how we get that. It's by knowing Jesus personally. And so the enemy's raging, and God says, here, here's all the tools you need to get through this life. And he gives them to us freely. He allows you and I to have victory in this crazy, messed up world. Sometimes you sit there, and I don't know if you're like me, I've gotten to a place where I kind of have to, I can only stand so much news every week. I've gotten to where I I just turn it off. It's like I can turn it on for two minutes and then turn it off for two hours and they're going to be on the same point that they were on in the first two minutes. They're just going to be saying it a different way. And, and you could get sucked into that. And go, oh, Lord, you know, all is lost. We can run around like Chicken Little. You know, it's like pretty soon we, you know, we, we won't be able to get chicken sandwiches anywhere. We're like, oh what's happening well what's happening is our god reigns he still reigns he's going to continue to reign and no matter what the world does no matter the direction it decides to go our god still reigns and he still has a plan he's still the redeemer he's still the conquering king he's still the lion of the tribe of judah he's still the rightful deed holder to this earth this is his earth he owns it and one day he's going to come back. And so there's definite prophetic application to this, this chapter. There are some straightforward things here, and I want you to see them. Daniel, in that sense, uh, is like all of us should be. God expects every one of us as believers to be holy and to do what Daniel does in, in the face of a perverse and a crooked generation. Daniel doesn't compromise. Daniel's not trying to make peace with the devil. Daniel's not going, well, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Daniel's not thinking existentially. He's not going, well, you know, if I experience it this way, then it's got to be true. Daniel is absolutely standing. In Philippians 2, there in verse 14 to 16, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, the children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you will shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. That's a Daniel view, except it came from the apostle Paul. Paul's saying the same thing. He's saying, look, when the enemy comes, I'm standing. 
The enemy tells me to bow, I'm not bowing. Peter would say it this way in 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who belong to God, that you might declare the praises of him to whom you've been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's who we are. That's who Daniel is. Daniel is a light in a dark world. We need to be a light in a dark world. When the, when the world gets darker, guess what happens to people who are light? We get brighter, amen? That's what happens. As the world goes the wrong way, when we're going the right way, we stand out all the more. So stand out. Peter would say it this way in 1 Peter 2, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits them. There might be a future implication for the good deeds that you're doing today, for you following the Lord right now. It may not seem like it's working out, but there may be a day when you wake up and someone walks up to you and says, I just want you to know, I became a Christian because of the way you lived your life. You may get to heaven and meet people that you had no idea you had an impact in their life, but because of the way you lived your life, because of the way you stood when others bowed, because of the light that you shone in a dark place, there will be people that will look you in the eye and say, thank you for being a light in my life. They may be saying some other words right now which I can't use from the pulpit about you. But make no mistake, they still see the light. They still see it. They don't want to admit it. They, they may not be ready to turn from their sin right now. But you are being used if you will just simply be light in a dark place. The application of this passage, when you really think about it, kind of encapsulates how we live our lives. Daniel is an overcomer all the way to the end of his life. It's the very picture that we have in the book of Revelation. Blessed are they that overcome to the end. Who is he, John would say, that overcomes the world? Only he that believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God was his answer there in 1 John chapter 5. These conspirators that were against Daniel simply because he's Jewish, that, that anti-Semitic voice that exists in our world still to this day, he's saying, look, I'm just gonna do the right thing. During the very last days during the tribulation, that voice is going to get louder and louder and louder, much like it is right now. I'm shocked at how many Christians are, you know, almost rejoicing that Benjamin Netanyahu has been indicted on corruption charges. We are to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We are to bless those who are of the children of Israel, those who are of the, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because part of the promise is to the world. Not that we will become Jewish, but God will bless those who bless them and he will curse those who curse them. And so just as these men were trying to wipe out the Jewish people through Daniel, we need to be really careful that we're not helping to wipe out the Jewish people. That's not a side that you want to be on. Because I can tell you how the story ends, because the Bible ends with that story. 
In Revelation chapter 16, all of the nations of the earth are going to conspire to come against one nation, Israel. And they're going to meet together in a valley called Megiddo, Armageddon, Har Megiddo. And it is there that Jesus himself is going to come back and say, oh, no, 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 no. That's not happening. And Jesus will fight that battle. To set yourself against the Jewish people is to set yourself against God. So be really careful about how you feel about the Jewish people. They are still and always and forever will be God's chosen people. And he has a plan to redeem them. A couple of co-conspirators in the end times, the false prophet, the Antichrist, are going to think they're going to be able to take out the Jewish people. They're going to be thrown into the lake of fire for trying that one. Second resurrection, even unsaved mankind is going to attempt to come against God, come against Jesus, come against those that have been saved during that time of tribulation, the great, great white throne judgment. And at the king's command, they're going to be tossed into the pit. So the king still controls the pit, too. The real king. The king of heaven. To wrap this up tonight, there's a final truth that I just want to share with you. As you kind of look at this passage, and we're going to see two others here in the book of Daniel. One of the words that we use to describe when you see a very clear picture in the Old Testament of something in the New Testament, especially if it's a clear picture of Jesus, we would call that a type of Christ, a typology. In this particular chapter, and I didn't put up a slide with all of these on it, and I apologize, so for those of you that want those kind of things, it's not going to be up there because there's too many of them. I want you to just travel with me because we kind of know because we have the full revelation of Scripture. But I'm going to give you a bunch of things and we'll see exactly how many of them you can get that we can see in just this chapter that makes Daniel look a whole lot like Jesus. And it begins actually with what Daniel does first. He's going to block corruption. Jesus overturned the tables of corruption. Daniel was going to be set over a whole kingdom. Christ is set over a whole kingdom. Daniel was hated as the chosen one of the king. Christ is hated as the chosen one of God. Daniel is rejected by the officials. Christ is rejected by the elders of Israel. The leaders conspired and plotted to kill Daniel. The leaders conspired and plotted to kill Christ. Daniel was declared innocent of any wrongdoing. Christ was declared innocent. Uh, innocent of any wrongdoing. Daniel obeyed the law of God. Christ fulfilled the law of God. Daniel was found to be without fault or error. Christ was found to be without fault or error. You get in the picture as to why God would put this chapter in the Bible. Helps us understand Daniel was tested and tempted and yet did not fail at any point. Christ was tempted and tested and did not fail at any point. Daniel was accused after praying. Christ was accused after praying. Daniel was despised 
because he was of Judah. Christ was despised because he was of Nazareth. Darius was trapped by his decree. Pilate was trapped by Christ. Darius was distressed by the order of the execution. Pilate was distressed by the order of the execution of Christ. Darius made every effort to release Daniel. Pilate made every effort to release Christ. Darius was powerless to save Daniel. God did not use his power to save his son. Darius couldn't break the word or the law. God did not break the word or the law in saving his son. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Christ was thrown at the roaring lion, Satan. Daniel was delivered by God's angels. Christ refused to call angels to deliver him. You could go on and on and on. I found 34 of them in one chapter. 34 things, and when you look at them, hmm, that sounds a whole lot like Jesus. That sounds a whole lot like Jesus. Darius proclaimed the living God of Daniel. The disciples proclaimed the living God of Daniel. Daniel was delivered from death to rule. Christ was delivered from death to rule. Darius installed Daniel as a ruler just exactly as was planned. And God will install Christ as king exactly as was planned. Amen? That's the gospel truth from Daniel. 34 little windows. You can find the rest of them. It's probably more, actually. I just went through the little, very obvious details. We are to live our lives so people know Jesus. Daniel lived his life so people know Jesus. Amen? Would you stand with me and we'll pray. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for the incredible example of Daniel. Or as we find ourselves at the halfway point of this book, or we're simply amazed at the similarities between Daniel's life and Jesus, your life. And so we pray that you would make yourself big, that our troubles would seem small, that we'd express great faith, and that our lights would shine brightly for you. Lord, we bless you for Daniel. We can't wait to get to heaven to meet him, to talk to him, to hear what he had to say when he was dropped down into that lion's den, what it was like to see you, what it was like to be in the furnace and to have you there with him. And so, Lord, help us to be like him. Help us to be like Daniel, bold and fearless, ready for all the things that life will throw at us, knowing that truly, Lord, we're, we're not leaving this earth until you say it's time. So, Lord, we bless you. We thank you. Thank you for Daniel's light that shines even in our lives. May we take that light and shine it in the lives of others.
in Jesus' name. Amen.